Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony Whitaker here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Today is the third and the final in a series of podcasts that I've been doing where I'm talking with people that represent the trade media. I always find that the media representatives have a really interesting insight into what's going on in the world of hair and beauty, and many of them also have a multi-purpose role of not just being publishers of magazines, but also in facilitating awards and various other industry events. An episode 173, which was the final episode of 2022, I spoke with Stacey Sobel from Salon Today to get a North American perspective. In episode 175, I spoke with Linda Woodhead, owner of the Mocker Group, which is a publisher of magazines and a facilitator of events and awards in the Australian hair, beauty, and barbering space. And today I'm speaking with Jane Lewis Orr to get the UK perspective. Now, Jane is the executive director of the professional beauty group in the UK, which, amongst other things, publish the Hairdressers Journal, as well as facilitating Salon International and hosting the British Hairdressing Awards. Now, in today's podcast, we will discuss how the role of the hair and beauty media has evolved over the last few years from a UK perspective, the impact that the internet and social media have had on traditional print media, and how Jane sees the future of industry events and awards, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jane lewis Orr. Hi, Anthony. It's so good to be here, and thank you so much for asking me. I'm truly honoured. Thank you. No, it's a real pleasure. I, I've uh, been really looking forward to talking to you. I know you're very busy, as you know, all well, as all of us are. But you know, media people Absolutely. often, you know, have a, a lot on their plate, and I know that you certainly do. So, uh, thanks for joining me here today, um, Jane. Let's start off with what I do with most of my guests, which is I pretty much get them to introduce themselves by you know giving an overview of who they are. So, who is Jane Lewis? Or give us your sort of two minute backstory. For our international audience who perhaps aren't familiar with who you are and how you got into this industry and exactly what you do. Okay, so um, I would start that by saying I'm a mum of twins of 21, 21 year old boys. Um, and as far as the industries are concerned, I've been in them an extraordinarily long time, which obviously makes me very old. Um, and as we were just having a laugh just now, you know, it started literally as computers were coming online and the world was changing and we were starting to know what the internet was. Um, so I've worked on Hairdressers Journal um, and on a different beauty title um, for very many years, so actually 36 years, um, but took responsibility for Hairdressers Journal. So this is my 25th, my Silver Jubilee year, I suppose. Um, took responsibility for Hairdressers Journal, Salon International, British Hairdressing Awards, etc. 25 years ago. Um, and what I'm truly humbled about is that actually I've been able to do every job on the way up. So I started off as an editorial assistant. Um, I became a content writer, I became features writer, features editor, deputy editor, editor, group editor, publisher, publisher director, and then executive director. So I kind of now have a commercial overview as well as content, but content is still where my heart is. Mm-hmm. Um, and very much um, hair focused, even though under the professional beauty group here, obviously we have professional beauty, aesthetic medicine, world's spa and wellness. Um, I've retained the kind of focus on hair, but it has been lovely because in the last seven years since coming over here, I've been able to get back to actually, I started on beauty. So to get back to those beauty clients that many of them are still there, very much like the hair industry. Um, And actually I think it's, I feel honored that I work in an industry where the people are genuinely friends. And I know with, there's a number of people that if I wasn't doing this job anymore, they would still be my friends. You know, they came to Mm. my wedding and they're with you. As we always say about hairdressers, they're with you with the good times and the bad times. and it's just been brilliant to be part of something that's so much fun, but has such great people in it. And I genuinely mean that. I still get excited about going to the British Hairdressing Awards and seeing everybody, catching up, finding out what they've been doing and just, you know, celebrating what is, I think, and I think everybody should think is an absolutely phenomenal craft. 
Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if that kind of summed it up, but no, that does. Tell, does. I love it. Did, did you start out as a journalist? Was that your original sort of foray into the Yeah, industry? it was. Okay. It was. So I actually, um, I didn't want to go a very different when I left school. Um, I could have gone to university and had the opportunity to go to university, but actually I almost wanted to do it as an apprenticeship um, and wanted to start working straight away. And I was very fortunate that um, the company that previously owned Hairdressers Journal um, had a actually used to train journalists from every company. So I went through their training program, became accredited journalist, did all of the sex, but whilst working on the group at the same time. So in effect, I was pretty much like doing a hair or beauty apprenticeship. I was doing the day job and doing the studying and marrying the two together. So I started writing new products and then small features and then event reports and, you know, those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I was I'm a, a, a journalist by trade. Um, and then it's been in the last in the last kind of latter years, I suppose, but it's been a while. So since 97, I've had a more commercial commercial overview of, of the business but still very much with a heart in in actually checking reading the content yeah. um, but obviously it's changed very much from when I started we had a weekly hair magazine and we had a monthly beauty magazine um now we have monthly magazines um but obviously nobody waits for anything anymore so it's the social channels it's the digital channels it's all that kind of immediacy um that's been such a big shift and then everyone's had to adapt you know, before we started uh, recording, we we were laughing about you know early memories of. I was telling you when I yeah. when I you know used to go to the news agents on the way to work every Friday morning, and I'd I'd buy the hairdressers journal, and I, I can't remember how much it cost, but it was it was pennies. I think it was like twelve yeah. pence. You know, so that makes me sound old. And then of course you piped up and said that when you started, you weren't even using a computer; you're using a a typewriter, and that is. Yeah. That's incredible because, you know, hairdressers, we're always talking about, oh, my God, the world is changing. Hairdressing is changing. The business model is changing. You know, everything's changing. But when you look at the changes that media have gone through, it is really quite phenomenal. You know, like when you look at the, the technology, I mean, it, it used to be you published a magazine. Now it's a magazine, it's events, it's digital, it's yeah. awards. There's yeah. so many sort of arms to it. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's incredible, basically, the upheaval that you that you have gone through in your your career and the involvement that you've had, you know, from a journalist right through to the position yeah. now. Um, I, I just yeah. alluded to the fact that I used to get a weekly magazine. I'm not sure if you said this before. Yeah. But obviously, it's no longer weekly. How many how many issues no. a year now? So, Hedress's Journal is twelve issues a year. So we went to monthly, um, and you know, it's funny. I still see people and have the odd email from people saying, "I still miss going to the news agents and picking it up every Friday morning." Um, but you're right. I think media is not even the same set of skills that we trained with anymore. I mean, hairdressing absolutely is changing, and technology moves, but you still use the functional skills you learn when you were an apprentice or you went to college with with media you know when i did my media training my journalistic training it was about writing proofing you know but though the kind of fundamental skills social media hadn't been invented so writing captions and you know clickbait content and they but those words didn't exist so it's mm. it's been it's kind of you just have to continually learn and you know and i don't profess to being you know the best on social media i absolutely have a go much to my boys absolute disgust i have a tiktok account and um, i mainly got a tiktok account because hedges journal have a tiktok account so it was mm. so i can see what's happening um but you have to keep going because the world's not going to stand still you have to move with it and the move from weekly to monthly you know that was a really tough call it was a hundred and something years i can't remember how many years it was 130 years or something of a weekly publication mm. and you know, it's a big call to, to do that, but absolutely it was the right decision because the world is digesting their media in a very different way. Yeah. And people used to wait for the issue on a Friday to find out who'd won British Hedgehogs of the Year on the Monday. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, the moment I say those words, it is on social media. Everybody mm. knows. No one's going to wait five days to find out who's won if they're not there on the night yeah and you have to adapt it's about mm. you know and that's the same in hairdressing isn't it you've got to be able to adapt and move and change with the times and and actually serve the needs of the of your readers users visitors whatever and that's the thing for us it's about making sure that we're relevant 
and using the right channels. And there are different channels for different content. Yeah, sure. So, I, I just want to yeah. back up. You, you just said something that has shocked me. Did you say 130 years? Oh, no, Hairdresser's Journal is, oh, God, you're going to get uh, 18. I'm going to come back to that and tell you what it okay. is. Um, but it is, uh, we had an anniversary. Was it 150 years last year? See, that's me being old. So either 145, 150 years old. Yeah, it's it's Unbelievable. Old. Right. Okay. So yeah, obviously that is the longest running trade magazine in the hairdressing. Yeah, it's the, and right. I think it's not just in hairdressing. I think we may, we got a letter from the Queen on our yeah. 125 years. Um, I think we might be the oldest, we certainly were, as far as we knew, the oldest um, trade magazine still in existence. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, and, and, you know, I feel, I 1882, there you go. Okay. So we were. I'm not going to do the maths. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a yeah. long time. It's ago. a lot. Yeah, it's a and lot. And I just want to clarify, I haven't done them all before any. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone pipes up, sometimes it feels like it, but I haven't done them all. But yeah, 1882. Yeah. What, inc- what incredible so, staying power that is need, with, with multiple think owners. Back to that. Yeah, of course. But May the 6th, 1882. And if you think back, that was before photographs. So everything was hand drawn. And we've got the original copy. We've got some of the original copies, yeah. and it is just fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it really know, is. When you used to do a weekly magazine, yeah, trying to get the content for that together and printed and out there every week—that that's a huge call. I mean, I can imagine a monthly magazine yeah. is a huge call, but weekly would have just been, you know, a lot of pressure it's, all the time. It's funny you say that because actually, in a sense, yeah, obviously it is. If you're producing a weekly, you're never short of information. This industry is never short of news stories, Mm. great images, ideas, inspiration. So there's always plenty to talk about and plenty to write about. Um, In some ways, it's no different now. If not, it's harder now in the sense that you're having to produce content 24-7 because Mm. the world doesn't wait anymore. Nobody waits for anything. So you have to be first with the news, first with first with everything. So there is it's not a case of being able to say, oh, that will wait and go in Friday's issue or we'll plan that for two Friday. It needs to go now. It needs to go on the right channel. And because of social media, which has many, many brilliant advantages, you know, it does mean that you are constantly accessible. And sometimes if you don't respond immediately, Mm. people don't take into account that it might be a Sunday at 2 a.m. UK time. They still want a response well clearly i mean we respond as quickly as we can yeah. um but you know the news has to be instant do you know what i mean so yeah. whilst it was a pressure get, get putting together the monthly sorry the weekly you we always knew what the dates were you worked those dates you very quickly get in a in mm. the mindset of you know this is what we need to produce by when and now that's all gone out the window there's no schedule it's just as it happens you've got to do it and, yeah. and there's a lot of it and also to keep yourself current and relevant you have to be doing it all the time. Yeah. Now, you, know, obvi- you can't wait. Yeah. Obviously, when you, you know, took that decision from a, a weekly magazine to a monthly yeah. magazine, a lot of people and a lot of other magazines and other industries have have either faded yeah. away completely or they've just become less yeah. and less copies, um, less and less frequent. Do you foresee a day, you know, where there won't be a printed version of the magazine and it'll just be a digital thing? I certainly don't at the moment. The demand for print is still really high. Um, you know, even in the pandemic, we, there was only one month when we didn't publish a print issue. And the reason we didn't, and I think it was probably May 2020, was because obviously we shut down, the world shut down at the end of uh, end of March. Our May issue would have been going to print in the middle of April. And we weren't actually sure whether printers were going to be allowed to go into print post was going to still be delivered because none of us knew did they i mean it was something that nobody had lived through or experienced mm. so we did one digital one digital issue only and then we went straight back to print what we did do was then open the digital edition to everybody so we sent it out to everybody we made it available to everybody um because conscious that often with hairdresser journal it goes to the salon it goes in the staff room and everybody reads it so our readers per copy is really high Mm. Um, and obviously no one was in the salon no one was allowed to be together um 
So actually we opened it so that I could send it to you if you were running a salon and you could send it to everyone that you work with just to keep people up to date. But actually, I suppose what the pandemic did, we had to pivot very quickly. Um, and then we began to do lives every day. And that the response to that still to this day, even though the pandemic is fading into a memory, is so lovely because when you go out, you know, at salon in October just gone, I had people coming up to me saying, we're so grateful that you kept going and you kept the content coming and you kept talking to us and having people on so that we didn't feel alone. Because running a business is a lonely place at times. Mm. Running, a, running a business in a pandemic was terrifying because nobody knew what tomorrow was going to sure. bring. Yeah. And actually having people on who could share the fact that they were in the same struggle, whether they were British hairdresser of the year, a smaller salon in wherever, do you know what I mean? So it just meant that it really fostered that community. And I think one thing hairdressing is, is a phenomenal community. They support each other. And you found people were openly supporting each other on social, via the chats, on the lives that we were doing. Um, and actually even on the lives, you know, people were asking questions live. And it, I think it it just made everybody accessible and just a little bit reassured, you know, yeah. in, a, in a time when none of us knew what the next day was going to bring, let alone the next week, month or year. Yeah. Well, what is, I think one of the things, as you know, I've spoken to uh, Stacey Sobel at Summer yep. Today, and I've spoken yep. to Linda Woodhead uh, from Mocha yep. in Australia. And I think one of the things that makes Hairdressers Journal different to them is that I'm under the impression, tell me if I'm wrong, that it has a more global yeah. reach because I know, I mean, when I first started hairdressing in 1978, I was in yeah. New Zealand. We used to get the English Hairdressers yeah. Journal. When I had my salons yeah. in Australia in the in the 90s, we got the Hairdressers Journal. Yeah. What, what sort of yeah. global reach do, do you have? Yeah, we do still have a global reach, probably less so with a print publication now because people tend to, if it's overseas, they want to get it digitally because it's mm. much quicker. It's, you know, when it publishes in the UK, they get it straight away. They're not waiting three months, three weeks for post in Australia and no post at all in the UK. So if anyone overseas is watching this, the UK is literally falling apart at the minute. I mean, I got a Christmas card yesterday that was sent <laughs> on the 12th of December, <laughs> only taking them a month. <laughs> only came about 10 miles as well. So it wasn't like yeah. it was an international delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've actually, we encourage people not to take a print version internationally because of that time delay and the cost and actually, but, but to do the digital. And if we look at our um, stats on everything from our social channels to the actual website to Salon International, the reach is vast. Mm. Um, you know, people are, and I think also because we have some, within the Hairdressers Journal stable, we have some iconic brands of their own. So people follow the British Hairdressing Awards because they want to know who's won. They want to see the work. Um, mm. And the same with Salon. I mean, you were talking about people watching this podcast from around the world. You know, we get the list of the countries that people have attended from. And I'm I'm sometimes I'm fascinated because I'm looking up where it is because it's places yeah. I've not even heard of. Yeah. Um, but they travel far and wide because I think it's one of those. If you create something that has the appeal and has the right people and the right education, and the right inspiration and the right content, people will come. Mm. Um, and I think, fortunately, UK hairdressing is is still very is held in very high reg regard and esteem mm. worldwide, and people still want to see the artists and the teams that were born in the UK and make British hairdressing so great. Yeah, well, one of the things that you said before, um, when I had my salons, uh, which is quite a while ago now, uh, a magazine would arrive, hairdressers journal or whatever. And it would be ripped, yeah. the, the envelope would be ripped open, it would be out in the staff yeah. room, people would be pouring yeah. over it. And so what I want to ask you about is, and so I very much had that experience and saw that and lived that yeah. and were that person. But today, very different technology, uh, social yeah. media. And so Absolutely. The, the staff room of today, when I go into different salons, when I go into the staff room, yeah. they're all looking at their phone. They're all scrolling through yeah. you know, their social media. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you about, and I've asked um, uh, Stacey and Linda the same questions, is that do you think that young hairdressers today have lost interest in magazines because they're so focused on their instant, you know, digital social media platforms that are that are also totally demographic and uh, democratic is yeah. the word I'm meaning. They're totally yeah. democratic. Yeah. I can get my work out there. No one's going to... Yeah use it or edit it. Well, people have become brands, haven't they? Yeah, without a you doubt. Know, stylists have become brands in their own right through social media. Um, I think to a, to, a, to a certain extent, I think 
reading magazines is a is a demographic thing that said i get to judge fortunately lots of industry competitions and magazines and when you go and they're presenting their mood boards i recognize the pages that have been ripped out of hj the fashion mm. pages that they've used as their inspiration mm. so i think it it depends on the type of hairdresser it depends on where they i suppose what they see as their career journey um but you know we still have we still have a good reach. I mean, the, the print magazine is undoubtedly um, read more by salon owners, senior stylists and technicians. But it's in the, as you say, it's in the staff room and people flip through. I mean, I can remember the days back in when we used to have a big recruitment section in the back. But the salon owner would rip the job section out because they didn't want the teams to see what other people were offering, all the benefits, <laughs> the salaries, that kind of, Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. People used to ring up and say, can you publish it without the recruitment section? No, because that's what people have paid to being yeah, in those yeah. days you didn't have an online you didn't have an online recruitment plat yeah. you know platform so um i think it is a generational thing you know if i look at my own sons they consume although actually one of them still absolutely reads new scientist every week the screen copy comes home he reads it if it didn't come home would he read it online yeah absolutely because it he's interested in it and he'll look at it um it's so there is a generational thing divide, I think, on reading magazines. But that said, I think they love the it, particularly the images, and I think that's what many people look for because we we only carry exclusive fashion in HJ. It's not been seen anywhere else, um, and they want to see that first. And and the lovely thing for us is that people still so desperately want to get their work published, mm. which you know, which is which is a lovely is lovely testament to us because you we get fantastic works in and they want us to to run it yeah and you know it's like I, yeah okay well again that's another thing I'm, I'm curious about is that you know when i was entering awards and stuff and and you know shooting work and getting it published etc there was a lot of recognition there was a lot of acknowledgement about getting your work in a magazine yeah. and so these days you have social media and you have people with you know tens or even hundreds of thousands of of you know followers yeah. on whether it's TikTok or Instagram or you know even Facebook or whatever um and so I often wonder and this sort of links into talking about awards that are people that motivated now by awards and are they that motivated by getting their work published in magazines when my my perspective or my question is that I see that a lot of young people now are maybe just not as interested as what they were that that they would they're more interested in the fact that hey I published this picture and I got 20,000 likes or something than than it being shown in a magazine what are you what are your thoughts about that am I am I on to something or not I think there will be some people who will absolutely just want to put their work out on social media and that's fine but it's interesting because even if we reshare work or we do kind of you know we'll do a collection of the week so we'll take one and we use it digitally they're always really grateful and excited that we published it we put something up online this week i had a lovely message from the hairdresser today saying thank you so much for publishing it on your social on your you know on the website and social mm. it means the world to me so i think people do still care um i think it's i think the fortunate thing for hairdressers journal and we never take this for granted is we have been around such a long time so it's 140 years um and actually whether you read it avidly or not there is a heritage and there's there's a respect now mm. you know i never take that for granted and neither did the team we work very hard to make sure that we stay front and center we stay relevant and as we were talking about before that you have you have to pivot to suit the market you know if we were still publishing a weekly print magazine only it, it wouldn't exist anymore because that mm. wouldn't be enough for people you've got to adapt to the times um but i do genuinely think people do still want to get work published because you know they it's affirmation isn't it that you you've done something really great mm. and you know i suppose i would in terms of awards i think that you know there is no doubt and i'll be honest i was worried after the pandemic because everybody had been hit so hard would people still enter the awards whether that's business awards or the british awards and we have record numbers of entries yeah wow. so there is still a there is still a passion for it mm. um and i think actually that if you when i'm 
and it's very fresh of mine because we do a long edit of the British Hairdressing Awards, which feels like a lifetime ago, but was actually only seven weeks ago. Mm. Um, when you hear, and there were lots of there were lots of new names winning this year, which is fab because it's new people and it encourages other people. I think when lots of different people are winning, um, how much it meant to people to be recognised by their peer group, and I think with that one, you know we have arguably the world's best hairdressers judge that event and you know it's a brave person that enters the walls isn't it because you're mm. putting yourself out there to be judged yeah. in a sense and and you know it's subjective what you might like i might hate and vice yeah. versa yeah. um <clears throat> so it's a leap of faith to put yourself out there mm. um but actually i think because they know we're so rigorous about the judging process you know the judges are and they are the, you know, we have kind of previous British Editors of the Year, Hall of Fame, industry alumni, um, you know, the, and we, what, what, one of the things we've done is let the current year's winners judge because they feel that's an absolute honour. And mm. I've spoken to many of the groups and focus groups and said, do you think we should do it all online? And they're like, no, coming to that judging day is as good for some of them, it, but for some of them it's better than the night because they've not got the stress and the nerves because they're just able to interact. And we, you know, we live in a world that lives very much on screen. People still want face-to-face -face and that personal connection. Um, and, you know, it means a lot to people that those, not us, because we don't judge, those alumni in that room think that they're worthy of either a finalist or a trophy. That, yeah. that means a lot to people. Yeah, yeah. I, I can remember, uh the first british hairdressing awards um at some point oh, in the 80s you're one up on me then yeah. <laughs> and it's it's evolved a lot since then yeah. i mean it's yeah. big without a doubt um what, what i was going to ask you was what is the future where do you see awards in five years time? i mean you know pandemics etc excluded how do you how do you yeah. see the awards evolving you know because they haven't always been there maybe they won't always be there or if they are yeah. they'll be in a different format do you have any thoughts as to how do you think awards yeah, events I mean, might evolve we we have focus groups so we have lot we we don't sit here in our offices and think we know best we ask the industry and the audience all the time what do you think of this it might be smaller focus groups we might do big surveys um, we might do telephone research, actually ringing them and saying, you know, it could be about salon, could be about the awards, could be about the magazine, could be about content. Um, and we absolutely do it with the British Hairdressing Awards. And we go out to people that have never entered because there's no, you know, yeah, there absolutely is value in asking people that enter all the time and win. But you already know they love the event. So actually, mm. the people you also want to talk to are those that never enter. Um, and as a result of that kind of feedback, we've introduced the Trend Image Award. So it's literally one picture. So right, okay. it, there's no, you don't have to produce a collection. It's one image. It's literally one image that you can produce. Now it can be part of your British Hedgehog collection or it can't. You could, you know, you could send one image that you love, that you've shot and that can get you in for Trend Image. Um, we introduced an international category, which has absolutely taken off. So hairdressers from around the world are mm. competing for that international collection of the year title. Um, and we're continually looking at ways to evolve it. Um, and, you know, whether it's new, we brought the session category back because when I first um, had looked, started looking after hairdressers, uh, after the British Hairdressing Award, sorry, um, we had a session category. And actually, the way it was being judged meant it became impossible to judge because rightly, the guys didn't want to send their books in to be judged because they need their books with their agents so they can get work booked. You know, and I absolutely sure. understand that. Um, but session hairdressing, and you all know this, many people want to be a session hairdresser mm. and want to understand how to break into film, television, celebrity, whatever. Mm. Um, and actually, for those that are doing it, doing it really well, it's a phenomenal craft and it is very different to those running a commercial salon who might be nominated fish and it kind of british was getting a lot of session nominees within it which was absolutely fine and and still is absolutely fine we would never change that you know the way it works is you are nominated for british address of the year we don't send a list or we don't say you need to choose from these people we ask people to nominate they nominate three individuals each 
that forms a long list that goes back out and then people choose three they can keep the same they can change it and that forms the list of those that have been nominated um but we did feel that session hairdresser of the year they don't they don't shoot necessarily a collection in the sense that you and I and your listeners would understand as a collection. You know, they might be shooting a collection for Vogue. They might be doing a cover for something else. They might be doing a record cover, a fashion collection. So we reintroduced Session last year for the first time in probably 20 years. Um, and what we asked was it was nominated. So it was by nomination. Um, and those that were nominated had to send in their eight favorite images from the past year. It could have been. It doesn't have to be one collection. It could be uh, a cover for Longcom versus an ad for Adidas versus a celebrity shoot for, you know, the Time Supplement, whatever. Yeah. Um, and those were the images that were judged. So we continually look and are genuinely, genuinely always really open to feedback um, about what, you know, and the, and the trend image came about because a lady contacted me on Facebook and said, I can't afford to do a collection. I want something that's I can just send one image in and I'd love to be part of it. Um, and and that's how and initially we did it with an age limit on it because that's what everyone felt they needed. It's not us making the decisions alone. Everybody mm. said, let's put an age. But actually, there are other people who want to enter. Why should it have an age limit on it? So anyone can enter it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Cos, who's current British Hairdress of the Year, can go for trend image as well if you want. It's entirely mm. up to him. So yeah, we... Yeah. Well, the the other thing that's changed dramatically is everyone's a photographer now, and some of them are damn good photographers. Yeah. You know, everyone's got their some iPhone and and the the you know the 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 composition Absolutely. and the way they develop yeah. their eye to take great yeah. photographs. It's amazing what what you know young kids do now with the phone. Whereas yeah. when I looked at competitions pre iPhone days. And people took their own photographs. It was like, oh, for God's sake, get yourself a proper photographer and do the job properly. Yeah. These days, a lot of people are shooting fantastic images just on their phone, which is impressive. Yeah, well, the, pho the phone cameras are great. And, yeah. and also then it makes it accessible for everybody. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. You know what I mean? You know, exactly. you don't yeah. have to. Have a and, big budget, and a lot right. of money. It, yeah. No, and the, I think there's a misconception that you have to have a big budget to enter awards. I mean, we don't charge, unlike most people, we don't charge anyone to enter. They, mm. there's no charge to enter um, and actually I know people that have shot and won on a shoot that they pulled together by working with a photographer who was building up a portfolio mm. a makeup artist he was doing the same and they went and scouted models yeah on the street and, and, and put together it. a great yeah. they street cast models yeah. and absolutely nailed it mm. because that very much the judging and I you can ask any of the judges and they're like they will tell you that I am relentless it is about the hair it is a hairdressing competition mm. it's not about retouching it's you know I mean obviously the aesthetic is important but it is about the hair mm. so you know and we will stay true to that but you know we continually ask people what they want in the awards how they want it to change, what they like, what they don't like. And, yeah. you know, nothing's off limits. We will continue in the way that we've talked about the business already. You have to pivot to and be agile enough to be able to change and adapt to new ways of working. Yeah. So we're always looking at what we do next. Yeah. So um, tell me about the business awards, because a lot of our yeah. listeners probably don't know that there's it's a completely so, separate event at a, on a completely different time of the yeah. year. Um, and, yeah. and it's still a very significant event in the you know British hairdressing calendar. So uh, tell us about the future yeah, of them, where they've come from and what they cover. So we launched the British Hairdressing Business Awards because obviously we had the British Hairdressing Awards, which do do and have done and continue to do a fantastic job of championing the craft of hairdressing so the technical skills that you need to be a great hairdresser but actually in real terms you can't do with the craft if you can't run a great business mm. so and you know often there's a much there's a there's someone behind the scenes that you may not know who is powering those big businesses on. do you know what i mean yeah, those businesses totally. on and mm. um, so actually what we wanted to do was recognize and reward um the kind of unsung heroes almost of mm -hmm. hairdressing so you know the front of house teams the assistants i mean you ask any salon owner the people they couldn't go into battle with every day without their assistants um salon managers business directors so at every level um we've introduced and again adapted we've introduced social stylist of the year so it's not just about 
oh, I post great pictures on my social media. It's how they've grown and developed their business. So they have to give us engagement, conversions, all those kind of things. And mm-hmm. um, teams. And it was about recognizing the, the great business because I think we still live, unfortunately, um, and less so now, but, you know, I don't want anybody to to say that they're, you know, oh, I'm just a hairdresser. If the pandemic did nothing else, it proved just how valuable hairdressing and the way it makes you feel is to mm. people, not just the way it makes you look. Yeah. Um, and to that point, we we launched a campaign. I actually announced it at the British Hairdressing Awards um, where we're going to be asking in the UK salon owners, stylists, technicians, assist whoever to just give up a few hours of their time to go to their local college or their local school and talk to the student about the opportunities that this industry offers, because you and I both know mm. what phenomenal mm. opportunities they are. And I don't ever want anyone to say, well, you shouldn't do hairdressing because, because anything yeah. you absolutely should do hairdressing because it can give you a fantastic lifestyle travel career career freedom like nothing else Mm. and the only thing that limits you in hairdressing i think is your own commitment to working hard continuing to learn and you know just you can live out your best life in hairdressing Mm. you will work hard but we all work hard Mm. and nothing you don't nothing's for free this life is it so everyone that wants to be successful is going to work hard and actually we, so we want to garner the market support, which they, you know, that people are coming forward and saying that absolutely do to go and talk to the future generations of hairdressers, because we need to make them understand and their parents understand mm. what a great opportunity this industry offers for people who want to work hard and, you know, live, go for it. Basically. Yeah, unfortunately, that is a challenge all over the world. Yes. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a hairdressing thing. It's not a UK thing or a US or no, an Australian not. thing. It's everywhere, which is uh, a shame. It's an industry thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I, I wanted to talk to you about is is that a very you know big part of what you do is events, and particularly I mean, yeah. we touched on this before, uh, Salon International, and you know pre the internet. If you wanted to find out what the latest products were and, you know, what the latest tools were and see the best, you know, artists, et cetera, you had to go to these big events. And and as soon as the Internet came along, it started to change and events started to evolve, change. They had to. And and in a lot of cases, they'd become smaller. Um, What are your thoughts about events? I mean, obviously, COVID sort of really made people I think I think people were reassessing events anyway. You know what's the purpose yeah. of them and what are they going to be like and then covid has really made people step back and go okay what does the future look like in terms of events for both the distributors for you for the hairdresser yeah. attending everyone sort of seems to be reassessing them so what, what what are your thoughts about those big trade shows those you know big uh, events that they include the shows etc with them where do you th- see that going so if you look at um trade shows across different sectors i'm not talking about hair and beauty um and we can plug in through various associations and stuff of what the trends are and um, there is no doubt that some some industries are having a challenge um in terms of less people wanting to attend potentially less exhibitors um and it's it's harder to get people to attend um salon last year was I mean, you know, you you can imagine you you build these events, and then until you open the doors, as much as we've sold tickets and mm. everyone said they're coming, you know roughly what you're going to expect until they actually come. It's like, ah, you know, are they going to come? Yeah, yeah. come? We know yeah. we've done everything, um, and we've done all the marketing, and we've got a great lineup, and we, you know, it, it's all in. But then, you know, I mean, one year we got hit with an incredible storm. Trevor Sorby was due to be on stage, and he was stuck in Europe couldn't come back and I'd got 1500 people sat in a theatre and had to go on stage and tell him he wasn't coming wow I mean it was just I mean it was terrible for Trevor but it was also not it was difficult for us because people had traveled from around the world you know these things happen and that's live events um there you're right I think the pandemic has made did make people reassess I think we are in an industry that is very tactile hairdressers hairdressing is one of the only crafts where actually the whole time you're with your client you are touching them pretty much it is an in it's you know you are in their space Mm. um and face to face 
actually, I think there was a real demand coming out of the pandemic for people to get back together. I mean, we ran Salon International in October 21. We were one of the first events to run again mm. um, at Excel London. And, you know, it, I mean, I lit, um, you know, I'll be the first to fess up. I've spent the three days frequently in tears because people came up and just said, I don't know you, but we're so glad you've done this because we mm. wanted to just get back to normal yeah, and see yeah. people and, and feel normal. And, you know, you kind of think, well, that's, but that's only going to be one, one show. They're going to want to do that. So, you know, we did 22 um, and actually the show had grown in size. We were nearly at the pre-pandemic size, not quite. Um, but in terms of visitor numbers, we were delighted. There was still where we were lower on visitor numbers would be international. And we expected that because there's still, yeah. you know, certain areas are still having difficulties mm. and caution about traveling. And then, and actually, I think, you know, we're probably all guilty of this. Kind of got out of the habit of traveling. Mm. You know, yeah. because we didn't do it for it so long. Nice. It was like, <laughs> yeah, well, there's, it was like, I, I can hand on heart say in all yeah. the years I've worked here, I have never in my working life had 52 weekends at home. Mm. Yes, I never. remember that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I spend a lot of weekends away from home. Mm. And it was like, well, this is really odd being at home every weekend. But you did get used to it. And it's amazing mm. that humans just adapt, don't they? But I, it's great to be back out and doing mm. stuff. And I think it's the same as with all the things we've talked about. You have to give give the audience what they want. If you give them what they want, they will come. Um, we've got some big plans for this year, things we're changing, new teams we want to put on board, on stages, different ways of doing the stages. You know, one, again, we had focus groups for everything. And one of the things that came up was, um, you know, we want to see colour work. Well, that's quite a challenge because watching colour process isn't necessarily the most exciting thing. Mm. And it was like, how do we do that? How do we do that in the space? How do we make that work? So we introduced a colour stage. And actually what we have on the colour stage are pods. So the best technicians come and and they will lot in the pod. So everyone can watch, ask questions. There's no, it's not ticketed. It's on the show floor. Mm -hmm. Watch people sectioning, choosing their colour pattern, uh, sorry, choosing their colour shades, looking at their, um, you know, their patterns um, and asking them, why, why are you doing that? Why are you sectioning like that? Why did you choose that shade? What... So it became a real learning because there's that there is a demand for learning. I think people mm. want education. They want to stay on top of the trends and actually get better at the trends that are not going away. I mean, balayage is not going anywhere, whether people like it or not. Yeah, there yeah. are new versions of balayage. And I think that's really important to keep mm. people coming back, keep them engaged and interested. But actually, and what we did, because we had lots of pods working at the same time, it was never stagnant. It was never just, oh, someone's got a process for 45 minutes because the next pod was at a different stage and actually they were rinsing off the colour live. Yeah. People could watch, watch them tone at the sink. And then they would finish their models and present and talk about why they chose the shades they'd chosen, looking at skin colour, lifestyle, all those kind of things. Um, so it is about constantly looking at new ways to interact. Mm. Um, and actually, we've got to make that area bigger because we couldn't, but it, could, it just became over crowded right, okay. it became swamped so, it was so difficult it was more, for teams to work about smaller groups yeah more, smaller small groups and that, that, and yeah, rather than the big, big I think, on stage yeah, the big, yeah. absolutely yeah. and I, yeah. I do think I personally think and it's something we're looking at now um that there is a demand for that what I would call up close and personal more up close and personal education so it's mm. a smaller group um it's more intimate you feel more part of it it's easier to ask questions of the people on stage those kind of environments yeah. as opposed to the you know i mean pre-pandemic we were in a four thousand seat auditorium massive stage shows and and rightly i think we paired that back hugely in 21 because we just weren't sure what mm. was going to happen with audience numbers and stuff we went up to um kind of 1500 this year and seats and they did really well but i think there is an there is a demand for that up close and personal education and you know, it's a mix isn't it you will have people who love learning online but they probably don't just want to learn online yeah. they will learn online but they want some real life action where they can see people actually doing the do as they talk the talk yeah i i think definitely with the creative stuff from from my angle yeah. where i come from there's a lot of people that are really happy about doing more online in the business context 
uh, doing yeah. that online because they can do it in bite-sized pieces. They can do it in their own time. Yeah. They can repeat it as often as they want, you know. Uh, and if you combine it with, um, you know, a live component, whether it's, you know, live Facebook groups or yeah. live Zoom group yeah. coaching calls or whatever. Absolutely. It's a business is something not to be overlooked because um, we we do a business conference at Salon and, you know, you try and get the topics right. Um, and we, we you know, mixed it up this year and said, actually, we're going to run the business on the three days. Normally, previously, we don't ever run it Sunday, Monday, not done the Saturday. Mm. Um, and we had a bit of an internal, and I was like, it won't work on Saturday. I don't think it'll work on the Saturday. I hate eating humble pie, Anthony, but absolutely had to because all of those sessions were busy, Saturday, wow. Sunday, and Monday. So I do think there is a real demand mm. for people wanting to, you know, whether it's marketing skills, digital skills, mm. um, better ROI, you know, recruitment, retention, everyone's having an issue about with teams and staff and the changing to hybrid working and people wanting to go freelance and not, you know, self-employed as opposed to on yeah. payroll. And, and those kind of topics, I mean, you're right, there is absolutely demand for that online. And we see that very much with the content on the website. Those are often the most searched content pieces. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you've got an issue about maternity, you're probably not going to flick back through the last 30 issues of hairdresser's journal, but you might go on the website, yeah. put in the search terms maternity law, and there it is. And that's mm. the kind of things that have changed, isn't it? You uh, want okay. that accessible yeah, yeah, that's interesting. that yeah. you can find. Yeah. 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 I just yeah. want to pick up on, you, you've touched on a couple of times things around recruitment. Um, when you were talking yeah. before about getting, you know, the hairdressers to go into schools, et cetera, and talk about what a great career yeah. it is. And then, and now you, you've just touched on that whole idea of, you know, different business models and people wanting to work independent and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Uh, I often have commented during this sort of series that I'm doing that, that you have a, a unique perspective, I think, the media, because they sort of see yeah. like every area of the industry from the manufacturers to the salons and, you know, the events, the shows, yeah. the awards, which I think is fascinating. Um, what what are you what are you seeing um, around recruitment? What trends are you seeing? Are you seeing or hearing anyone who has some brilliant solutions that are, are working fantastically well? I think there's a real mix. You've got some people who absolutely what works for them is having employed stylists they reward them very well they are loyal and and that is absolutely working um and but there is also an element no matter how much you're doing for people i think what the pandemic did do was make people want this you know the work-life balance um and absolutely i understand why they want that and if they can't have that flex, then, you know, because then you go to the people who actually are running employed, but they're much more flexible around what they're doing and the hours that people work and the days that people work through to the other end where you've got salons that are actually offering um, self-employed stylists the opportunity to stay with them, but work in the space. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you've also mm. got kind of the, I think probably more of what started in America, wasn't it, where you have the spaces where individual businesses are operating within those spaces and that that's also yeah. now in the in the UK um I, I think they were probably always coming I think the pandemic speeded it up mm. and you know let's pre-pandemic there was a shift towards self-employment um and being in charge of your own destiny and I understand I you know I can understand that but there are also still a chunk of people who actually really want to be part of the team and be have the security that that team may bring with you in it I think what you have to do is be open to all and look at the ways that it works for your business. I don't, one size doesn't fit all people mm. are running very different sizes of business, very different business models. Um, it does seem, it feels to me like it's settling down in terms of, you know, there's, I think there are, there are, you know, there are, there are, there are big Facebook groups and it does feel like it's calmed down. I think well, pre, after the pandemic, when everyone opened and then, you know, quite, it felt like a sway that people went, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do my, my thing, my way, my terms, my hours. That seems to have definitely settled, I think. And I, I think there's been, a, there's had to be a mindset shift for business owners. We've had to do it, you know, in media people don't want to necessarily be committed to the office five days a week. And actually if mm. the pandemic did nothing else for businesses like ours, you realize that, you know, our team were fantastic. They were working incredibly hard remotely, but then you 
you miss out on the interaction and those spark of ideas when you hear someone say something in the office and do you know what I mean and actually yeah, I yeah. think for younger for new people coming in they need to absorb what's going on around them to learn and develop and and that's not easy to do on zoom remotely mm. and not, you know I know I sound very old saying that but it isn't no yeah, you um, need a balance between you know, the two yeah you need a balance of the two and I think mm. that businesses have had to adapt I think some were more loath to adapt than others mm. I think you know I'm sure you see that in your line of work there was a lot totally. of I'm yeah, not yeah. changing and if they don't like it and mm. and that's fine but then you have to be prepared that some people might choose to take a different path and yeah. so long as you're good with that and they're good with that you know my view is there's room in this world for all of us and mm. um, and everybody needs to do what's right for them at the time they do it so long as they do it in an honorable way and I think that was the frustration for many that they felt they'd you know they'd paid teams through the pandemic they topped up furlough and then people didn't come back well that will that will hurt Mm, yeah definitely. You know, when you definitely. feel you've done when you're running a business and you feel you've mm. done everything in your power to make make it as easy for people as possible and then I suppose it feels but I think I do you know I mean t the world's moved on and time is a great healer I think there will always be there is definitely a shift towards more focus on self-employed and yeah. and the manufacturers I think have shifted too and you will see this you know the, there's a lot more focus on all areas of the market not just salons because I think the latest stats, wasn't it, for the UK anyway, I think 66% of the market were self-employed. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I last heard 64, but every time I hear yeah, it, I the, number, the number is going north. And, yeah. and, that, yeah. and in the UK, the self-employed thing in a lot of salons, you don't necessarily recognise that they're self-employed, whereas as you alluded to in the US, yeah. there's yes. a lot more of the you salon the suite business model. So yeah. it's, it's very... Yeah very evident that they're independent yeah. businesses whereas in the uk yeah. it looks like a salon full of people working happily together but they're actually you know yeah, 10 individual businesses yeah. in their own right but absolutely that that, that in itself is interesting because that must have an impact on you you know in terms of awards in terms of um you know trade fairs and events etc yeah. because you're no longer just marketing to one person oh, i.e the salon owner and them putting their hand in right. their pocket you're you're having to sort of right. reach all of these people that are effectively independent businesses in their own right so th yeah, that must present challenges so, for you. yeah it does and i think the focus in the last you know probably three or four years has been very much about data because all businesses mm. now are only as good whether it's a hairdressing salon they need the data on their customers to make sure they mm. they're coming back they're getting you know they're making contact they stay in touch with them they stay loyal they become that great client and um, it's no different for us we have to um you're right you do have to work harder because we have to find them because they're not as you say it's not one salon um who's got five people coming with them or whatever social media is a great way of doing that and we work very hard on our social channels across all channels and um, fortunately but it's not luck because we work very hard at it we have mm. great we have huge reach and we do try to engage as much as possible you know people message we direct message back um because that's you know there is nothing worse is than sending a message and nobody replies i mean that's yeah. just irritating whether it's an yeah, email yeah. a whatsapp or a yeah. you know so there's but you you're right you ha we've you have to change and we've had to adapt to that as well and it's looking always looking at new ways you know using different methods to target people who fit the persona that we need to mm. get them to enter the awards to come to salon to look at the social channels to interact with us in some way and you know you're always looking at how you can reward the people that interact with you more mm. so that they feel really special and really part of that community and i think yeah. that will be ongoing forever and it will you know it will continue to change because the ways in which you reach them will undoubtedly continue to change yeah. um, but you're right it's gone are the days of you know salons marketing was five direct mails mm. And that was kind of and some advertising in the magazine it's mm. now multi-channel global with media partners everywhere um who we work with and using our own channels in very different ways to get to the personas and the different target audiences that we need to get to yeah so okay it's, i i have one last question for you and then we need to wrap up um when, okay. when you look outside the uk market and i know you get to go to other countries and awards etc and see yeah. what's happening uh, what do you what do you see that you wish we would embrace more in the uk 
in any in any in anything any part okay. of the industry as to how we work how we recruit how we train people how we how we run awards anything at all i think there are certainly in some regions you know there are there is no doubt there are phenomenal i think there are phenomenal hairdressers the world over they might have a different style and but that's just trends and what happens to be current in that yeah. in that geography as opposed to anything else um I think in some regions, I think it would, it feels to me like the hairdressers are almost more confident than our own UK hairdressers about what they do, who they are, what they stand for, and, and are more prepared to say, I am, you know, this is who I, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, even, the, you know, I think sometimes here, yeah. even the, you know, the, 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 the household names here um, are still on the whole really humble about who that and it's not about the the others aren't humble and they're showy or anything they just seems to be more confidence in actually standing up and saying this is who i am this is what i do and i am really really good at it great that's really so great. you know and i kind of you know i i i suppose i'm probably a frustrated hairdresser under all that and um, i want everybody to be really proud of what they do the craft mm. they work in and and the service and the support that they give to their clients yeah. uh, you know we alluded it to it before it is so much more than just making people feel good is look good isn't it it's yeah. about how you make them feel mm. and you know hairdressing became the fourth emergency service in the pandemic we need to hold on to that and remember mm. how valuable the craft is yeah. and i think in some regions they definitely seem well they seem to be i suppose just a bit more confident that that, that is their position whereas i don't think we should uk hairdressing shouldn't be grateful for that the pandemic the, the media were telling us repeatedly no one could you know if people were honest when they were asked who they wanted to see when we were allowed to see people again obviously everyone said family because it was the right thing to say but a very mm. close second was their hairdresser yeah, i mean yeah. when i went got and i when i went to get my i obviously didn't do anything to my own hair because i wouldn't and my fringe almost was under my chin by the time i actually got in to see a hairdresser and when i went to see darren um i cried with relief and i know that sounds ridiculous but it was just like oh thank god for that Mm. we can get back to normal we can get back that this is getting back to normal mm. and it you know you don't feel yourself if you think your hair looks God, yeah yeah i'm gonna say it but you don't <laughs> you don't feel yourself yeah. you know and it, it and that's not being flippant it is mm. a huge part of who you are and and i think that's a worldwide thing i don't think the media i i don't know what the media would like and i would hope the media all around the world is as supportive in in getting salons open i know some places were even slower to open than the uk which was really tough yeah. um you know there's some great work and one thing i would say we love sharing that kind of work from around the world so people have got images and stories and news and they want to get then they contact us because we do share stuff from around the world and you know some of the work we get sent from australia america absolutely phenomenal and when we look at the international category the stuff you know the, the current international hairdresser of the year is from ukraine mm, wow uh, incredible collection oh, she put together fantastic. good so that's great. you know yeah, it's yeah. it's about making hairdressing a community that's bigger than yeah. just the geography isn't it sure yeah okay so uh on that note where, where can people connect with you on instagram or website or any other social yes. media channels yeah absolutely so in instagram is just at jane lewis or and it's jane with a y um so at jane lewis or on facebook um or email um they can get me which is jane so j-a-y-n-e dot l at the pbgroup.com um, but it's all on our, if you go to HJI and just email, they'll send the messages through to me. If you just use the generic email and I'll come back, absolutely, be great. Right, okay. Well, I'll put those links on our website uh, at growingthesalonbusiness.com. Yes. Uh, thank you. And they'll be in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Jane Lewis Orr and have enjoyed it, do me a favour, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to Instagram stories, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Jane, it's been absolutely wonderful having this opportunity, having a chat to you for the last hour and getting to know you. I, you floored me right at the beginning when you said you've got two 20-year-old twins. I was like, I didn't 21 know 21-year-old twin boys. Sons. That's yeah. fantastic. So, um, they are um, my biggest achievement. <laughs> well, that's some achievement too, I'm sure. So, okay, well, Jane, thank you once again for being on the show. We really appreciated it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.